Here's your host, Alex Garrett. Well, my next guest I've been looking forward to having for a while. Like I, I, I want to have mom because he's talking about something that we're seeing right in our faces, right? And, and joining me now is Stephen Stuckup. He is the author of this new book, The Dictatorship of World Capital. You are the publisher of the Political Forum as well uh, and vice president as well of, of this forum. Stephen Stuckup, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, you know, just before you, just after you published this, the wokeness actually happened in Major League Baseball. So let's start there. When you see what's going on in Atlanta, when you see them try and reinvent, I mean, your book comes out at a perfect time, and I, I think the MLB exemplified it, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. The the, the MLB uh, was, uh, you know, I couldn't ask for better timing. I couldn't ask for a better example. And I honest, honestly couldn't ask for a more uh, head-scratching example. I, I don't know what... Uh, the commissioner of baseball was thinking. I don't know what MLB was thinking. What they did was was truly uh, destructive to the city of Atlanta, uh, and it was all about virtue signaling and uh, acting on their own political uh, priorities. Well, and it, it kind of plays into something that I've been wanting to talk about uh, more on this podcast. I think you're going to help me. But then, you know, back to Atlanta, you see, you know, Delta out, then Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola, and the funny thing is, Stephen, is these laws are kind of more intense in other places, are they not? Yeah, uh, they are. Um, it, it's uh, not surprising, however, uh, that these companies would choose to uh, target Georgia. They've been targe- targeting Georgia uh, for the last five years, uh, starting with a religious liberty bill in 2016 uh, and then a fetal heartbeat abortion bill in 2019. Uh, companies have been focused on Georgia and on uh, undermining the will and rights of the people in Georgia for, for quite some time. And I, and I think the reason is because they think Georgia is easy to lampoon uh, as this southern backward redneck state, that it gives them more leverage if they do this to Georgia rather than to any other state. But, yeah, they've been, they've been picking on Georgia for a long time. Well, obviously you've been seeing this enough uh, over the years to write about it, so where – what was the first motivating factor? The first motivating factor for me? Yeah, to, to write about this in, in more in depth. Well, I've uh, I've worked in uh, financial services for 25 years uh, and worked at the nexus of politics and, and finance for that entire time. Um, and I have seen over that quarter century uh, American financial services move very, very, very aggressively to the left. Um, what was once considered sort of anodyne, slightly right-wing commentary uh, and forecasting uh, that I and my business partner produce uh, is now considered uh, untouchable uh, by many of the big firms who are themselves woke and are pushing wokeness on uh, the corporations that they hold. Uh, And so I wanted to get uh, to the heart of what was going on and and why financial services was moving to the left. And, And what I uncovered uh, with the help of uh, you know a great many allies, it is just how deep this uh, leftist cultural leftist takeover of American business uh, actually has been. Well, and I would say this cultural takeover, this leftism, extremism, comes from a very small amount of people, right? That's pushing all these companies. It, it doesn't seem like a big number asking for it, but they're listening to smaller numbers, right? Yeah, well, there is, certainly there's there's a, a case to be made that this is the case of the 
uh, the squeaky wheel getting the grease, that the activists uh, and especially activist shareholders uh, in various companies uh, are a minority, but because they make a big deal, uh, that they are treated differently and that their uh, their demands are met more readily by corporations. So, yeah, I, I think that's probably true. It's a minority. Uh, I happened to, to read a Reuters piece uh, the other day uh, talking about uh, Berkshire Hathaway uh, and uh, Warren Buffett. And this, this uh, whoever wrote this commentary for Reuters implied that if it weren't for uh, Buffett and the board of directors using their 35% uh, stake in the company, that he would have had, you know, Berkshire would have been taken over by some of these woke capitalists. They would have been forced to approve of some ESG uh, proposals. But the fact of the matter is that wasn't true. Even if you took out that 35%, uh, the uh, the activists still only got 25%, which means they were beaten pretty handily, but yet the media portrayed this as, as a very significant uh, move on, a part of, on the part of the activists. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that this is, this is a minority, and they're a minority that in squeaking is being aided uh, by the financial press. Let's talk about finances for a minute. I mean, obviously these moves are costing companies. Um, and so the cost of all of this, talk about that for a minute, because you were in the financial industry. So what is the cost of moving an ulcer game or leaving a state? What, what's the cost like right now? Well, you know, the cost uh, with the, the all-star game, and, and, again, this is something that, you know, for a month now I've been trying to wrap my head around. The cost uh, of moving the all-star game was an enormous cost to uh, black-owned businesses in Atlanta. Here's the thing. Atlanta is a majority black city, 52% black city. Uh, it has roughly 30% of its businesses uh, are black owned. On a national, on a national uh, survey, it's ranked number five for black businesses. Uh, and the All-Star Game was expected to generate roughly $100 million for this majority black city with 30% black business ownership. And Major League Baseball took that game, took that $100 million in uh, expected generated revenue, and gave it to Denver, which is a city that is 8% black, with 3% black business ownership, uh, and that is ranked in the neighborhood of 120th out of 125 cities in the country for black business owners. So the cost is an enormous cost to black business owners and to black citizens of Georgia, uh, that right. Major League Baseball took, and, and I, it's something I just, I can't even, I, I can't, as I said, I can't even wrap my head around. No one can. Stephen Zuckerberg is who I'm talking about. He's at the political forum and author of The Dictatorship of World Capitalism. So let me ask you this, uh, then. Do you think that, um, do you think that these companies, by doing these acts, are actually profiting? Is that part of the woke capital, that they're actually profiting from these moves of, taking their business away? Like, are they getting donations for doing such a thing? Well, I, I think that there are certain companies uh, that uh, can benefit and have benefited. Uh, most of these are in the financial services world. Um, the largest asset management firm uh, in the world, BlackRock, um, last year at this point in time had about $7 trillion in assets under management. Now it's got about $9 trillion in assets under management because it is pushing uh, ESG, which is a basically a sustainability uh, uh, agenda for the companies that they hold, 
So they're pro- promoting themselves as a very environmentally friendly, very woke uh, asset management firm, and, and it's worked out uh, among the uh, customer base that they're looking for, and, and it's made them an awful lot of money. Uh, so, yeah, there, there are some companies, and I, unfortunately I think most of them are in financial services where they can manipulate all the other companies that they hold. Now, obviously, they're not coming to you to talk about ways to make money from this, but what is your role? Where do you find yourself in the financial industry, seeing everyone else around you sort of caving in, if you will? Uh, on the outside looking in, um, that's, uh, that's, that's where I find myself at, at this point, and trying to save free and fair capital markets from this effort to politicize them, to weaponize capital for political ends. Um, it's, it's a very lonely battle. Um, if you uh, take a look at the book, uh, the chapter on uh, the allies who are trying to prevent politicization of capital uh, is the shortest chapter in the book. Uh, it contains only a handful of references because this is, this is a very uh, difficult and very lonely fight. Uh, but it's, it's one that I think we have to win because if we don't, then uh, not only do American capital markets fail, but American business fails, and, and then the economy uh, comes right along with it. Is this all a ploy also to get rid of capitalism? Is this part of like a let's make them cancel and then we'll just demolish them to where they're, they're not even really a company? Does that make sense that, that, that that's happening too? Yeah, it absolutely makes sense. And um, – the first half of my book, uh, I, I trace the history of these ideas, uh, and and one of the ideas is the one that was offered by uh, the Italian and German Marxists after World War One, which basically said, if we want to enact our revolution, we have to change the culture first. We have to take over. We have to make the long march through all of the cultural institutions. Uh, and American business, big business, is one of the the last of these institutions. So the presumption is that once they take this final institution, then they can have the revolution. I don't think that the business owners uh, and uh, the asset managers and the people who are involved in this from the business side uh, quite see it that way. They've forgotten that that's what the ultimate goal is. They see it as an opportunity to uh, do well by doing good uh, and to impose their political beliefs on the entire system. I think they forget what the goal of this was uh, originally. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that there are some who think that way, but uh, there are many who have forgotten that that's what's, that's what's ultimately at stake. Stephen, I, I first was alarmed when they shut down Starbucks for an entire day to do training. It was like, what, what was that about? It, it just felt very disturbing actually that that would happen. Yeah, well, Starbucks, ironically enough, had been a very – uh, social justice-oriented company, um, and it, it, what it proved at that time was that uh, nobody is safe, that the revolution always eats its own. There's no way you can make yourself totally immune uh, from the uh, activists and uh, the woke capitalists. If, if you give them an inch, they will come back tomorrow and demand a mile. Uh, and, and so there's no way to compromise. We simply have to push back against them. I was thinking that capitalism also is very much so in the community. So what I mean is that these businesses are there to provide jobs for a barista or the you know Amazon person. Yet people forget about that, that actually there's capitalism going on in the community. They just think about the wokeness of it all. Well, you know, it, it gets really 
uh, messy uh, when you go from what is supposed to be uh, the intellectual foundation of the ideas that they're pushing to how it actually works in practice. Um, but the idea of stakeholder capitalism, which is, you know, has become synonymous with, with woke capitalism, was that other stakeholders, uh, employees, customers, uh, the environment in which uh, businesses operate, et cetera, were supposed to be considered important in addition to just the shareholders. Uh, but that's only in theory. In practice, it's, it's worked out that they don't necessarily care as much as you might think about the workers uh, and about the customers, that it's all about making a political statement and making a political point. Don't you think the cries of the right to boycott all this stuff also is counterproductive? Because that is what the underlying thing of all this work is, is to actually gain distrust. And then you, by boycotting, you deteriorate the company even more. I'm not going to do that. Like, I, I can't buy into the boycotts because I still believe they need to survive. What do you think about that? Well, I, I, I agree with you. I think boycotting, uh, first of all, uh, conservative boycotts have a, a history of just total failure. Uh, conservatives do not generally boycott very well. Uh, additionally, and more to the point, if uh, boycotting uh, becomes an active strategy, then all we're doing is abandoning the playing field and giving up and saying, hey, you know what? These are your companies. You do with them as you wish. What we need to do instead of boycotting is to engage. Uh, we need to push back. We need to reverse engineer what the cultural left has done, how the cultural leftist activists have engaged with companies, and we need to engage uh, on our own and push back and say, hey, look, we're a squeaky wheel, too. Um, and if you continue to grease that squeaky wheel instead of us, we're going to uh, make a much more concerted effort uh, to uh, push uh, directors and executives uh, and uh, others involved with companies to um, do as we wish politically as opposed to what the others wish. All we are asking for now is for you to get politics out of the boardroom, uh, out of business. Uh, to go back to neutral, but if you continue to push politics, there will be a faction that continues to push and demand politics from the other side, which I don't think would be terribly productive for anybody. So uh, back to neutral is is a much more uh, reasonable alternative for us and for business management at this point. Like I thought the kneeling was also like, like a conservative effort to get people pissed off to boycott the NFL, and I'm like, no, that's they want us to get rid of the NFL. They don't want cultural institutions. And we both can agree the NFL is a big one, even more so than baseball. Yeah, well, yes. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the, it's it's interesting uh, that the uh, the instigator, Colin Kaepernick, is, is considered a victim in this. But the, the, a, a great more people know of him and know of his protests uh, then would have uh, if everybody just ignored him and said, hey, you know, this is a second-rate quarterback nobody cares about. But because we made a big deal about it and said, hey, look, we got to punish this guy. we got to, you know, protest against this guy. We have to push back against him. Uh, he's become a celebrity, and he's probably going to make a lot more money than he ever did uh, in the NFL. So, you know, it, it, it tends to backfire, and if you give uh, them what they want, uh, they'll happily take it. Well, let's talk about fear for a minute, because I think Kaepernick, amongst others, actually instill fear in these companies that if you don't do what we want you to do, we're going to burn your business down. I mean, there's a fear of that 
So, and I think fear goes into dictatorship, right? Talk about that for a minute. The fear factor. There is one, isn't there? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, pressure on corporations to uh, become political usually comes from one of three directions. It can come from the bottom up, uh, which is employees with, who pressure management uh, to behave in a certain way and to embrace certain political values. Uh, it can come from the top down, uh, which is to say management is itself uh, woke and, and wishes to push these political beliefs uh, on the corporation. And it can come from the outside in. And when it comes from the outside in is when it's really the scariest uh, to managers and to directors uh, because they have uh, virtually unlimited uh, publicity and unlimited power to do as they wish. And, and that could be just regular activists, political activists like Kaepernick, or it can be um, uh, activist investors. Uh, it can be activist asset managers. As I mentioned, uh, Larry Fink and BlackRock are very aggressively activist managers pushing corporations to embrace a, an environmental and a diversity agenda. Uh, so though, when it comes from the outside in, I think it is really when it, it becomes frightening uh, to uh, corporate managers and directors. Well, some people that don't seem afraid of anything is Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg and, you know, the, the Google team and everything. And back to the profiteering, aren't they profiteering from canceling people on Twitter and Facebook? I feel like there's some money given to them to do all of this, and so they're not afraid to do it. Well, I, I don't think they're, they're getting money directly for doing that, uh, but I think they've made their peace with, uh, the fact that they themselves uh, wish to politicize uh, capital, that their employees uh, wish for them to politicize capital, and that a lot of their investors do as well, and that they are in a fairly comfortable position uh, to do as they wish without a whole lot of, uh, of backlash. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that certain tech companies uh, are insulated uh, by the fact that they have, you know, alignment between all three of these pressure points. Uh, pushing in the same direction. When I see uh, people going crazy over uh, an action by a company, I just think it, it looks for frenetic and fanatical. Is there some fanaticism leading to all of this dictatorship? Yes, um, there certainly is. And, and the fanaticism is in the politicization uh, of everything. Um, you know, this is a this is a, a bigger this is part of a bigger societal issue where everything is political. Um, this is this is what uh, you know we we call the total state. There is nothing. There is no issue. There is no person. There is no institution that is entirely free from politics. Uh, and, and that's the way the cultural left has wanted it for the last 50 years. And that's what they have now. Everything is is political. Um, therefore. Uh, everybody gets divided either into friend or enemy groups. Uh, if you're not with us and you're an enemy, uh, and we have to do whatever we can to punish you. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I think certainly that there's, there's a very ugly tone um, that this produces, uh, and it carries over into government action, uh, depending on who's, you know, who controls the levers of power. Um, and so I, I think that yes, this is this is very much a uh, you know a society-wide issue that that is based on uh, punishing those uh, with whom we disagree. Do you find your book is a wake-up call to those moderates that don't think anything is wrong with what's happening? And uh, do you think it's a wake-up call? 
I certainly hope so. Um, uh, the small coalition of people uh, that I've worked with on this issue uh, and that are similarly inclined uh, as, as I am uh, on this matter um, have come to the conclusion that what we need to do uh, is to inform the public of what's happening, uh, who's doing it, and why they're doing it. And only then can we begin a, a much more serious pushback, a much more serious reverse engineering of what's been done to business in the capital markets. Uh, so I, I certainly hope that I'm contributing to uh, spreading the word and to raising awareness uh, of the issue uh, and just why it's so significant and so widespread uh, in our uh, business world today. Well, I want to ask, political form has been affected by all of this movement of wokeness, if you will. Have, have you guys come under fire for no reason? Like what? Has there been a target on your back, too? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, uh, for 20 years. <laughs> um, we're, uh, you know, we're, as I said, we're on the outside looking in, uh, and uh, it's not uh, an easy position to be in, uh, but I would much rather be able to be completely honest and truthful uh, with my clients uh, than to have to sugarcoat and to dance around uh, some of the issues that I think are, are important uh, and, and matter most. Um, so uh, I would much rather be on the outside looking in than the other way around having to compromise uh, my beliefs uh, and the information I'm able to provide to my clients. We haven't even gotten to this, uh, but COVID, did the COVID lockdown and everything help the woke capitalists? Like, do you think that was an aiding factor for them to step in and do what they wanted to do? Absolutely. Um, not only uh, did it uh, feed the narrative that um, people are damaging uh, the environment through their behavior and need, therefore, to be directed uh, by businesses to behave uh, less environmentally damaging, um, but it also put uh, people in the financial services world in positions of power. Uh, and, and again, we come back to BlackRock, as I said, which is the driver uh, of Well Capital, which is also partnered with the federal government and with the Federal Reserve uh, because of the COVID relief packages uh, that the Fed was not able to administer on its own, that it had to have a financial services company administer, and it chose uh, BlackRock. So, you know, there is, there's very much uh, a connection between uh, COVID and the expanse of woke capital over the past year. And they also feared, you know, put the fear of God in the people that wanted to open their business back up. And I thought that wasn't good. What happened to the minority business owner that wanted to open back up? Uh, it, it's like they didn't even take into account who they were affecting. They just didn't care, actually. Well, I, I, I would suppose some of them would care if they could be convinced to think about it. But yeah, that's that's the issue is that they're not particularly thoughtful uh, about what happens with small business. They're concerned uh, with publicly traded companies, with large companies, uh, with the com companies they can manipulate uh, and that they can uh, see an increase in, in value from. I'm noticing the culture is having an impact on the stock market. Is that right? Like what what are you seeing with that? Is bull capital affecting our stock? Uh, well, uh, yeah, I think um, it is uh, sort of indirectly, uh, and, you, you know, the culture plays 
quite a big role in it um, as far as as woke uh, capital. Um, the effect, I think, is is, is sort of complicated in that um, asset managers have been able to sell wokeness uh, to their clients over the past year uh, or more, uh, over the past probably 11 years, I guess, if you want to be more accurate, uh, using the idea that um, even if you are willing to uh, subsume your principles to politics, uh, even if you're let, even if you're willing to let politics guide your investment decisions, you'll still make a fantastic return on investment, uh, which is being, uh, you know, driven by easy money from the Fed for, as I said, the past, you know, more than a decade. Uh, so uh, it's certainly, you know, as I say, it, it's a complicated relationship, but it, it, it certainly plays a role. Okay, so the people that are sort of going along with this wokeness, like our leaders, are also saying, hey, stop small business. And I'm just thinking they can't have it both ways. Then it really comes down to you and I and the average person on our block to help support small business. That's what it comes down to, right? Yeah, well, yes. Um, there and there are uh, quite a few uh, what would be called free market uh, or conservative uh, economists who have said for, for years uh, that in order to uh, break the hold of what we have, either whether you call it corporatism or corporatocracy, uh, what the business and government relationship that we currently have. In, in order to break that, we need a party that supports small business primarily rather than big business. Uh, and, and so I, I think we're seeing how important that is, uh, you know, at this point, this idea that perhaps uh, small privately held businesses um, which are the majority empl employers uh, in this country uh, are um, getting uh, short shrift because they don't have anywhere near uh, the political capital that the big businesses have. So with Stephen Tuckup, he is the VP and publisher of Political Forum. He's the author of uh, Dictatorship of Wolf Capital. Um, Stephen, are we going to hit a course correction here or are we on a bad path? Do you see a course correction at all? Where regular Americans say, "No, we're not going to let you be so woke that everything gets demolished." Well, you know, I, I, if you'd asked me this six weeks ago, I might have given you a different answer. But I've been rather uh, buoyed by uh, the American people's uh, behavior over the past six weeks and their reaction uh, to a lot of the stuff that happened in Georgia uh, and and some of the other things. Uh, that have brought wealth capital to the forefront. So I, I, I think there is hope uh, that we can push back, uh, that we can uh, sort of neutralize this idea that politics must guide business decisions. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm much more optimistic today than I was six weeks ago. Uh, certainly there's, there's a lot of work to do, um, and this is, you know, this is a, a battle that will be divided into two uh, several tiers, uh, you know, a short-term, a near-term, a long-term. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of work to do over a long time. Uh, but um, I, I think there's a chance that we can save American business uh, from the cultural left. Well, that is a good note to end on. And as your book continues to, you know, be out there, come back and tell us how the book's doing, tell us how you're doing. And uh, I guess my question is, you aren't canceled, so where are you on Twitter? Where can we find you? You can find me uh, on Twitter at it's at the Paul Forum. 
the Paul Forum. Okay. At the Paul Forum. Um, you can find uh, within uh, <laughs> another couple of days, um, we should have our own website uh, for uh, our new venture up and running at uh, wokecapital.org. Um, and you can also find uh, information about me and the Small Coalition uh, pushing back against us at stopcorporatetyranny.org. And are you – I would say then this kind of puts conservatives in the thing because they don't want to tax – I mean, we all want to tax those who deserve to be taxed, but normally corporatism is, is a word instead of by the left, is it not? They want to take down the corporate, but you guys are seeing it from a different angle. Right. Um, the uh, the collusion between business and government uh, is is you know a significant problem in this country at this point in time. Uh, it, what differentiates uh, you know corporatism from corporatocracy is who's leading the the the, uh, the way, whether it's business leading the way or whether it's government leading the way. Um, I have a tendency to believe that this is something that government uh, is taking. Uh, a backseat and allowing uh, big business uh, to do more than it probably should, which is, you know, what we would call corporatocracy. Uh, but uh, certainly I'm open to other arguments. Uh, and in any case, it, it, it's something that I think is, is damaging and detrimental uh, to uh, American business and to our economy and, and to, uh, you know, virtually the entire system of governance uh, whether we're talking about woke capital or not, just having big business and, and government colluding against small business, I think is problematic, and it's something that we should be pushing back against uh, in any case. Absolutely. I, I didn't think about that. Well, thank you for this insight today, Stephen. And, again, come back as things progress here. Happy to come back whenever you'd like me. Thank you. I'm Alex Garrett. Well, we're always adapting, and we're just trying to get things back to normal for a better normal on Alex Garrett Podcasting. Have a great day. Wake up the members of my name.